Well, I thought about starting this morning's message as we're going to be dealing for just a short uh, week or two here with this uh, idea of being smart with money. I I thought about opening by saying, you know, that recession, a recession can be a good thing. And I thought, you know, but if I open that way, they they could take me out back and beat me and stone me. And, And so I won't say that recession can be a good thing. Now, if I was going to say that, and I'm not... But if I was going to say that, I I would say it maybe for this reason. And I'm not an economist. I don't play one on TV. I didn't stay at Holiday Inn last night or anything. But if I was to explain why it can be a good thing is because, folks, as I understand capitalism, as I understand the free market, it's designed to grow and grow and grow. But then at some point it has to recede. It has to come back. It's like your lungs, it fills and it fills and it fills with good air, but sooner or later it has to recede, it has to come back. So it's going to grow and grow and grow, and then it's going to come back. If it does not do this self-correcting method of receding, of coming back, then it grows beyond reality. And sooner or later then the market becomes, as they say in the Latin, stupid. Is 2008 just a tremendous illustration of that? The market has to come back by definition. And, and so if you will look through the United States of America, what it does is it makes us a little bit smarter. You see, here's the problem, folks. And, and I want to challenge us this morning to seize a recession, to grab hold of an economic storm that may be looming, that may be coming to America here for a period of time and let it do a good thing in our lives. You see, here's our problem with money. The more we have of it, the dumber we get. Now, that's not a statement about you or any particular individual or a certain business or industry. Folks, the more money we have, we don't have to be as careful. The the more money we have, the margin for error gets wider and wider. The, The more money we have, the dumber we get. But look what happens in a recession. Look what happens when money gets tight. All of a sudden we have to stop. We have to think. We have to be careful. We have to get creative. But that's not a bad thing, isn't it? It's not a bad thing to stop and say, hey, let's be careful about what we're doing. Let's be smart about what we're doing. And that's why I believe historically, as you'll look throughout the United States history, when they've had these times of recession and even depression, they usually come out of that even stronger than they went into it. Because we got smart again. We got creative again. We got careful again. Well, folks, if that's true in a physical realm, if that's true in the financial realm, surely it's true in the spiritual realm. Anything that causes us to stop, evaluate, be careful, and get smart can be a very good thing. That doesn't mean we like it. That doesn't mean it's not going to hurt as we go through it. But if it makes us smarter as we come out the other end, that's a good thing. You know, during the month of January, we had a very exciting time in the in the life of our church as we focused on that theme of living like we were dying. And and you remember those different topics we hit? I hope you do. I hope you're still living them because you're still dying. Remember, we talked about speaking sweeter, loving deeper, embracing eternity, giving forgiveness We learn the value of today. Today is what I have, not tomorrow, not next week. 
today is what I have. And each of those topics we looked at, we looked at because those were things that would make today more valuable. Those were things that would make today count for what it should be. And we want today to count, not necessarily because of tomorrow or next week, but because of eternity. We learned in Hebrews chapter 9, 27, that we're going to die. And when we do, we have an appointment with God. And living in those ways makes that appointment go a little bit better. It not only makes today better, it makes that appointment with God go better. But you know what, folks? There is something in Scripture that God talks about more than all of those topics. There's something in Scripture that God talks about even more than heaven. Would you believe that it is the topic of money? Money and possessions. As a matter of fact, it talks about that more than a lot of topics you might be surprised to hear. You go through Scripture and Gosh, prayer's pretty big, isn't it? See, that's a big topic of, of Scripture. There's roughly about 500 verses on prayer as you go throughout Scripture. How about faith? Gosh, the whole Christian life is one of faith. Go through Scripture, there's about 500 verses on faith. Would you believe there's over 2,350 verses on money and possessions? Jesus tells 38 parables. 16 of them are on money and possessions. Folks, money's a big deal in Scripture. Why? Because money matters. Because money counts. And if you'll think about that, there's a very functional reason for why that is. Folks, our priorities flow out of our resources. You see our priorities in our resources. So much of our life is on the use of money. Just think about this past week. How much were you thinking about a bill, taking care of a bill, discussing some with somebody a bill, arguing with somebody a bill, thinking about what you were going to do? A lot of our life revolves around the use, the care, the taking care of, the managing of money. But I think the number one reason that Scripture talks so much about this is because money, and this has been true in all cultures, all generations, money is our number one false god. Yes, even here in the church, even for the churchgoer, money is the number one false God. Because you see, we look to money, we depend upon money, we desire money much in the same way that we should be looking to God, depending upon God and desiring God. There's a real battle there in our lives for which one is God. And it's very easy for our heart to go toward that money and for us to end up traveling down the road, sometimes for a lot longer than we anticipated, treating that money as God. So whether I'm trying to live like I'm dying or whether my life has come into a a recession, man, anything that stops and makes me think and get smart about this money, about these resources, anything that prepares me for that day that I sit down and talk with God about all these resources, that's a good thing. And that's what we want to do today. We want to start by getting a a general overview, a big picture uh, of all that God says about money. I want to do kind of two different directions. One, I want to look at a biblical understanding, a a biblical perspective of money. And and then we want to look at a biblical priority for money. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. When God speaks to us about money, a perspective, a priority, it's for our benefit It is for our good. And you know, we struggle with that. For some reason, when we start talking about God and money, the church and money, we kind of reduce our loving Savior into a pickpocket. 
He's trying to get my stuff. He's trying to take my money. And we get nervous about this topic. Folks, whenever God speaks about money, it's for your benefit. I don't know about you, but as we head into possibly a, a strong recession, I need to know what his benefit is, don't you? I need to know what he has to say about this. So let's start by getting a, a biblical understanding of money. Now, here's what I need you to do. Uh, run out to your front yard. Are you there yet? Okay, you're standing in your front yard, maybe the street, because you want to get a good view of everything that you're looking at, even the mailbox. I, I think the mailbox belongs to the government. I paid for it, but, well, there's a lot of stuff I paid for that belongs to them. But anyway, see your mailbox, okay? Starting at the mailbox and look at everything back. What do you see? Some of you may see a tool shed out there in the woods. You know, maybe see a little John boat that's rusting over there laying against the tree. Walk into the garage. There's the lawnmower. There's the car. Go inside. There's the washing machine and the dryer and the refrigerator. You're going in. There's the couch, TV. Got to have a nice TV. And go on upstairs. You're in the bedroom. There's the bed. There's the chest of drawers. Go into the closet. No, don't open the closet door. It'll just leave that shut. Okay, but you're, are you still out on the front street? Do you see everything? Okay, now folks, when we're talking about having a biblical perspective, a biblical understanding, we're standing out there in the front and I'm trying to figure out how is God telling me to look at all this? How, how is God telling me to think at, about everything that I'm looking at? And I want to show you five things the scripture says that as you're standing out in the street, look, make sure there's no cars coming by while you're doing that, okay? Uh, as you're standing out on the front street, how does scripture want you to look at all that stuff? Okay, number one, biblical understanding of all of our resources. Number one, God owns it. What, 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 whoa, wait a minute. I'm, not, I'm looking at my stuff. No, first way we have to understand as we're standing out there at the road looking at all this is that God owns it. God owns everything, folks. What does it say in Psalm 24, 1? It says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything you remember all that stuff you just walked by? The washing machine? It's God's. Let me think, well, God should have gotten a better washing machine. It's all his, the earth and the Lord, everything in it. Folks, your little piece of property, the place where you're king and queen, you have your little princes and princess, it's all his. Haggai chapter 2, verse 8. God says, the silver and the gold is mine. Now, we might arm wrestle God for that, wouldn't we? Now, I think it's mine, Lord. Folks, if you arm wrestle God, it's, it's going to sting, okay? The silver and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. How about Deuteronomy 8.18? It says, remember the Lord your God who gives you the power to make wealth. You know another way of saying that, folks? Your ability to draw a paycheck comes from God. Your ability to go to work and make a living, it comes from him. First Corinthians chapter six, 19 and 20. You're not even your own. You don't own your own body. It was bought with a price. Folks, you and I don't own a thing. From the breath we draw to the body that we have, the clothes, the shoes, the car, the garage, all the stuff in the garage, even the stuff we're supposed to throw away, everything in that house, everything you're looking at belongs to him. And the way that you and I acknowledge that ownership is not just quoting Psalm 24 one saying, oh, it all belongs to God. Well, that's a good place to start. But the way we really acknowledge his ownership is to use it, 
and spend it and give it and manage it in the way that he has defined. As a matter of fact, that leads right to our second point. If God is an owner, what's that make us? We're managers. As I'm standing out there at the street looking at all this, I've got to realize I am a manager of this stuff. Now, you know what? In the average business, the manager has some freedom. He or she can, can bring to that business their, their way of leading, their way of doing some things. The average manager has some freedoms in how they run things. But at the end of the day, that manager has to give an account to the owner. At, at the end of the day, it is about what the owner wants. That's what the Bible says, too. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says it is expected of managers. Folks, you're the manager. It is expected of managers that we be found faithful. I have to be faithful with all this stuff that I have. All this stuff that I am managing. So as I'm standing out there and I'm supposed to go, wow, Lord, okay, this is all yours. Would you help me manage it your way? Now, as I'm looking at all this stuff, Jesus gives me a warning. He says, Randy, as you start heading up the driveway into this stuff, he says, I'm warning you, you have a tendency to make this stuff your God. That's what Jesus said. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, folks, Jesus only tells us what's for our benefit. He tells us stuff that he knows our heart has a tendency to do. We have a tendency to turn money, to turn this stuff into our God. And he says, you can't serve both. And folks, I would dare say you need to know which one you're serving. Which one are you serving? If I was really living like I'm dying, do I want to get to that appointment with God and have him say yes? As a churchgoer, even as a churchgoer, you were serving a false god. You were following after a false god. So another mindset that I have to have, I have to have a mindset of being careful. I've got to what what is my heart doing? What is my mind doing as I'm thinking about my stuff, taking care of my stuff, managing my stuff? Because Jesus said, you better keep an eye on it because it will begin to treat that stuff as God. You can't serve both. You've got to pick one. Now, one way we fight that tendency in our lives is through our fourth principle of managing these resources. And that is we manage best by honoring the Lord with our resources. We manage best when we start using our, instead of letting those resources use me, I use those resources to acknowledge his ownership, to acknowledge his greatness and his deity. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 says, honor the Lord with all your possessions with the first, look at that word first, with the first of your entire harvest. There's a principle there. Now you say that's an activity, that's an action point. It is, but there's a principle, there's an understanding there. That if I want to guard against a false God, if I want to acknowledge his ownership, then the first thing I do with a paycheck is honor the Lord. Well, Karen and I had to learn that early on in marriage. You know, we we did that thing. I know many of you have been down that same road, you know, where you run out of paycheck before month. You know, and if I'm waiting to the end, if I'm treating, well, you know, I give to God when I've got something left. Well, what have you just said to God? You've just told God, get at the end of the line. And when I get there, if I've got something, well, then, then here's something for you. Of course, we get to the end of the line. A lot of times, oh, sorry, Lord, it's all out. But the Scripture said, first, first. 
And what a way to acknowledge that he's God. What a way to hold at bay that tendency to treat the check as God than to take that check and the very first thing we do with it is acknowledge him by giving to him. Fifth thing that we want to do when we manage our money is we want to manage with a desire to be content. To be content. You know, I'm thinking contentment in America sounds almost like a failure. You know, when we think of contentment, you think, oh, I don't care, whatever. I mean, contentment just sounds so blah. But folks, contentment means I'm okay no matter what. I, when I'm content, I'm satisfied. I, I'm good. I'm good to go. Folks, how much is enough? Have you ever thought about that in your life? How much is enough? When do you have enough? If you're an American, the answer is never. And that's why, look around, that's why no matter how much we get, we will consume it and still be in debt. Some of us in here today are making two, maybe even three times as much money as when we first got out of school and we're more in debt now than we were when we were in school. No matter how much we're given, we'll consume every bit of it and go even in further into debt. You know why? Because there's never enough. You know, folks, if you don't know when the enough line is, you'll never get there. You know, the Bible uses the word contentment seven times, six times. It's in reference to money and possessions. I like the way Paul in Philippians chapter four, and we know Philippians chapter four, verse 13, pretty well. But there's a context to 413. You know what 413 is? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We use that to win football games and, you know, go into power meetings and do all these things. But what, what, why did Paul say that? Well, there's a context to that. And we see that here in verse 11 and 12. He said, you know what? I don't say this out of need. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to have a lot. Now, that's the lesson I want, right? <laughs> Can I get and sign up for that lesson where I learn how to have a lot? Paul says, I've learned that lesson. I've been there. I know what it is to have a lot. But he says, you know what? I've also learned the lesson when I don't have a stinking thing. I mean, nothing. I mean, I've got nothing. But he says, you know what? I learned to be content in both places. I learned to be happy in both places. I have learned the what? It's a secret. I learned the secret of being content. There's a secret to being able to do whatever God has put you on this planet to do, whether you're starving or whether you're stuffed, whether you've got more stuff than you know what to do with or whether you're completely running on empty. There's a secret. And what is it? 413. I've learned I can do everything through Christ. It's not money that enables me. Now, folks, you know what? That makes so much sense here in church, doesn't it? We know that well, I know money doesn't enable us. But boy, when we're out there paying bills and we're making a living and we're thinking about things we want to do and need to do and want to try to accomplish, boy, it sure seems like it's money that makes it happen. And Paul's saying, no, I realize it's not money that makes my life happen. It's Jesus. It's not money that enables me to do what God has put me here to do because I've been able to do what God's put me here to do when I didn't have a thing. Jesus is the secret. We are going to manage all of that stuff. Put yourself back out there on the road. Look at it all. You're going to take care of it the best. You're going to manage it the best. When there is a desire, there's a goal not to get more, not to get bigger, to be content. So I'm standing out here at the front and I realize, okay, I don't own any of this. 
I'm a manager of it. And as I walk up this road, as I walk up this driveway to manage it, I need to realize I need to be careful that it doesn't start to own me, but I use it to serve God. I'm not serving this stuff. I want to manage it in a way that acknowledges God, that honors God. I want to manage it in a way that I'm working on contentment. So that's my biblical understanding. That's the way I'm going to look at all this stuff. Now, next, the Bible gives us a priority list. It gives us a list of things we want to do with all of this stuff that we're looking at. And the first priority that Jesus gives us, do you trust Jesus? Think he loves you? Think he wants good for your life? Well, Jesus has a stock tip for you today. He says, put it in heaven. Put it all in heaven. Send your treasure to heaven. You know the verse, Matthew chapter 6. Collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Now, you can kind of go two ways with this verse. We can talk about our heart. You know what, folks? A lot of us, we got our hearts sunk in this world and in the stuff of this world. And then we wonder, man, I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I'm fearful. Why? Because when you're sinking your heart in this world, stress and fear and anxiety is what you're going to find. But if you sink your heart into heaven, what do you find? You find eternity, you find security, and you find joy. So Jesus says there's a little heart principle going on here. Putting your resources, putting your money toward heaven is a good way to take care of your heart. But then he also gives us that stock tip and says, send it ahead. Send it ahead where you're not going to lose it. Boy, think about what has happened since this past summer. Most people in here, if you've got a 401 or some kind of annuity, some kind of a retirement account, you probably have lost somewhere between one third and one half of the entire value of that. Now, when you're a super, super young person like me, that's, you know, you know, there's time to recover. There's time to get over that. But some of you out there long past super young. You know, if you're coming up on that retirement, man. I mean, I was counting on that. I was holding on to that. And then just to have a third, a half of it gone in a matter of months. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? You know, any treasure down here, you're always going to have the potential of that moth and that rust and that thief. How about our home? I thought the home was the safest investment. You know, that's the investment every American can have. I would listen to see Thursday morning on 1140. I don't know what they were quoting or what they were talking, uh, what, what, what piece of news they were responding to, but I heard the comment Thursday morning that one out of six Americans... Their debt is bigger than the value of the home. One out of six people. If they pay their house off, it's not worth what they just paid for it. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? The moth, the rust, the thief, they eat away at it, they destroy it, anything here. But when you send it to heaven, it lasts forever. You say, what what do you mean send it to heaven? Where, Where is that? Where do you put your money? Folks, when you're given to the church, when you're given to ministries that advance the kingdom of God, When you're given to the poor, as I've read through scripture, that seems to be how God defines sending that money to heaven. Now, here's a question I can't answer. Why do we need money in heaven? I have no idea. I don't know what we're going to do with money in heaven. But you know what I found? My savior loves me. And he's looking out for me. And he said, Randy, you really want to get some of that stuff up in heaven? I don't want to get to eternity and go, 
Oh. That's why I was supposed to send it ahead. Well, don't I feel stupid? Jesus. Folks, consume that for a moment, would you? Jesus said, you better send some ahead. Now, you're just down to one question. Do you trust him? He said, send it ahead. Second priority that we have with our money is we need to take care of our family. See, a lot of times we think, well, if God's speaking about money, he's just speaking about getting it, right? He's trying to get it away from us. No, God says, hey, listen, I've provided for you resources. Your second priority should be to take care of your family. First Timothy 5.8, as a matter of fact, says take care of your household, especially or take care of your, your relatives, especially those of your own household. To not do that is to deny the faith is worse than an unbeliever. Well, gosh, that seems kind of harsh. That's a strong statement, isn't it? But that's what God is saying here, folks. This is a priority. This is a priority statement. It's a high priority to be able to use our resources to provide for the needs of our family. Now, that word needs, that's a subjective term, isn't it? We would define, you know, our needs in this very room, much less around the world for culture to culture. How we would define needs in this room would be a, a wide range. But you could turn to 1 Timothy 6, 8, and it starts to define what those needs are when we start talking about food and clothing and shelter, those basic needs of life. God says it should be a priority of yours to use your resources to provide for your family. Then a third thing he says is use those resources to pay your bills. And there's another, another harsh verse. Psalm 37 verse 21 says the wicked. Now, wait a minute, Lord. That's not a very nice word. The wicked borrows and does not pay back. Now, folks, it doesn't say the wicked borrows. It's not wicked to borrow. It's wicked to borrow and not pay back. We all borrow. You're, you're borrowing electricity right now. And they'll send you a little reminder in a couple days. Hey, you've been borrowing electricity from us. And they'll ask you to send them a, a thank you note. You know, maybe a little something inside to show how grateful you are for using their electricity. And we do the same thing with a car, right? We borrow electricity only for a month. We borrow a car for four or five years. We borrow a house for, for 30 years. And, and they all send us a little reminder each month. Hey, we need some gratitude. We send that off. Now, we borrow. Now, here's the problem in America. You see, we borrow out to the absolute extent of our ability. So, so what we do is we've not, we're not only borrowing for a house and a car, but then we got credit card debt, and we got short-term loans, and we got all this borrowing going on. And we take a deep breath, we hold right, and, and you know what? Right here, right now, I can pay all this. I can take care of my debts. I can pay my bills. As long as nothing changes. As long as everything is perfect. What world do you live on? It is going to change, and it's not going to be perfect. Folks, we borrow and live, and it'll work as long as everything in life works, nothing breaks, and we get a pay raise about every other month. That's not going to happen. And then we say, gosh, what happened? I, I never knew I would get sick and be out of work. Never knew I could get laid off. Never knew the water heater was going to break. Folks, the water heater's going to break. I promise. And so if I have borrowed out to this absolute extent where everything has to be perfect, then you've now set yourself up for disaster. You've now set yourself up for where you will not be able to pay bills. So you see, in, to a degree, borrowing is always a little bit sketchy. 
because it implies I can do this as long as every condition remains as it is at this moment. Well, it doesn't always stay that way. So whenever we borrow, there's got to be a, a cushion. And see what happens, folks. I've got three priorities. Every financial decision I'm going to make, I'm going to make in light of, number one, wanting to honor God and store it away in heaven. Number two, I want to provide for the basic necessities of my family. And number three, I don't want to put myself in a position where I can't pay my bills. There's three priorities. And you know what a lot of us are doing as Americans? We're down here taking care of priority number. See it right here? It's 23. And there's priority 31. And we're throwing all this money down into these priorities way down here at the bottom. And then all of a sudden, I can't take care of the priorities at the top. And there comes the trouble. Jesus says, Scripture says, your priorities need to be to always leave yourself in a position where you can pay your bills. And then lastly, folks, we're to have a priority of working and planning. That's how we're to use our money. That is how we are to build wealth. We are to work and to plan. Second Thessalonians 3 says, you don't work, you don't eat. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? How about Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5? It says, the plans of the diligent. What do you think of diligence? You see somebody say, they're diligent. That means they're plotting. They're working. They're moving along in a methodical place. They don't give up. They keep working at it. That's, that's how God says, that's what it looks like when you're building wealth. But, but the, the hurried scheme, the reckless scheme, that's what brings poverty. Folks, working and planning used to be the American way. I don't think it is anymore. I think the average American looks at wealth as something that falls on you out of the sky. You know, we're looking to get on a game show. We're looking for the lottery. We're looking for our kid to sign some big athletic contract. We're hoping for a big insurance claim. Folks, listen, go out into your world this week and listen. And I guarantee you will hear at least one person make a comment about, man, I, you know, I need to hit it big somewhere. I, I need to have that load of cash fall on me. By the way, folks, when a load of cash falls on you, it tends to kill you. You know, honestly, and you've heard it, I know you have. Look at any kind of study on people who've won the lottery or in kids who've come across a big inheritance. In a matter of, I'm talking tens of millions of dollars. In a matter of years, not only will they have lost the tens of millions of dollars, they'll have lost what they had before they had the load of cash fall on them. A lot of times they throw away their marriage and their kids in the process. Gosh, I wonder why that is. God said, I told you that. You don't do well when a load of cash falls on you. Now you do well when you're self-controlled and you're disciplined and you build and you spend according to my plan. Folks, when God speaks, it's for our benefit. When he speaks about money, it's for our benefit. Folks, you know something? You've never made a financial decision in your life that the scripture doesn't give guidance to. Now, I think I've given you enough plans and, and points for today. I think I like nine points in like 87 verses this morning. I hope you got all that down. Folks, you know what my goal was this morning? Just to whet your appetite. Just to have you say, gosh, did, does, I mean, God speaks about all these different things. He sure does. I hope this week maybe you'll run by the Christian bookstore and look for a book by, by Ron Blue or Larry Burkett or Crown Financial. Go in there, look for their money section. Folks, you'd be surprised how much wisdom and how much guidance God gives on insurance and investing and saving and making financial decisions. 
Did you know that God says in the Bible, do not cosign alone? I wonder if anybody in here is in trouble because they've cosigned alone. I didn't know God said that. Yeah, like 3,000 years ago. And it's been there every day for you to know. Folks, you know, I don't know what's in front of us. I don't know what this recession is going to be like, but whether it's a recession or, or whether it's just trying to live like I was dying, I want to be smart with my money. If I could close with three real quick, super th- quick points. You know why I want to be smart with my money? Because God's way is not a way, it's the way. You know why? He's the owner. I mean, that's just his prerogative, isn't it? He owns it. It's his. So his way is the way. Number two, you're going to be held accountable for God's way. You know what that means? That means I need to know what his way is. I need to know what he has said about my finances because I'm going to have to answer for it. I'm not only going to have to answer about the way, but you're going to have to give an account to God for all your resources. Well, we're kind of going through that right now. It's tax time, isn't it? You're trying to find receipts and figure this out and add all this up. And think about how fun that is just for one year. Can you imagine God walking through all the stuff and money that has passed through your hands for an entire life? And you're being held accountable for it. Let's be smart with our money. And the good news is, it's not an issue of whether you're smart or not. Just go to his book. It'll build the financial life you want. And it'll build the financial life that you're going to be ready to sit down with God one day and talk about. That appointment is coming. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, on behalf of all of us, I feel that we probably need to, to start this prayer with a confession. Because, Lord, for some reason, wh- why we will talk to you in prayer about almost everything You and money make us nervous. We have had a tendency to look at you as just trying to get what is ours. I imagine we look pretty silly to you sometimes. God, would you forgive us of that that wrong attitude, that wrong thinking? And God, whether it's a, a recession that brings about this desire in our life, whether it's our own financial challenges and issues, whether it's that we're trying to genuinely live like we were dying. God, would you help us to get smart with our money? Help us to get your understanding and your way of managing it and caring for it. And Lord, I pray that's our desire, not just so that we have what we want and that we live a stress-free life, although that's pretty good reason to seek your way. But God, I I pray we're thinking about more than that. I pray we're thinking about that day that we sit down with you and we talk through all these resources, how we used them, how we spent them, how we saved them, how we gave. Father, help us to trust you. Certainly in all areas, but in this money. 
Father, I don't know what is ahead for this nation. God, it's, it's my prayer. God, I pray you'd prosper us. I pray you'd help our country to work through this very readily and that you'd restore jobs and incomes and, and that you'd provide. God, certainly as I say that prayer in general, there's very specific needs right here in this room for provision. God, we want that provision. We want that prosperity. But God, if I could be so bold as to pray, don't give us prosperity if we're just going to be stupid with it. Give us prosperity when we're ready to be smart with it for your glory, for your kingdom, for honoring you. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.